All right, everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of AP Human Geo in 20 minutes. I am your host, Mr. Linder. Today, we are going to be looking at Unit 3, Part 1, focusing on chapters 4 and 5 of the textbook, folk culture, pop culture, and language. As always, we will be going through uh, the study guide for this unit. Um, and so that is where we will start uh, at the beginning of that study guide. Once I get it pulled up, which I thought I had it pulled up, but I didn't. And now I do. All right. Number one, what types of diffusion can explain how language and culture spread? Be sure to explain your reasoning. Again, we have talked about diffusion a lot throughout the, um, this course. It's something that is going to keep popping up and something we need to understand. So first of all, relocation diffusion. I am talking about the movement of people from one place to another. So obviously, when we're talking about immigrants moving to a different place, they are spreading their language with them. They are spreading their culture based on their physical movement. The same thing with empires and colonies and that sort of thing. As they physically move, they bring their language and they bring their culture. Um, with expansion diffusion, we're looking at two types. In this case, we're looking at contagious diffusion. We're looking at hierarchical uh, diffusion. When we are looking at hierarchical, that could be pop culture. So uh, pop culture is going to diffuse from major uh, cultural centers like New York, Paris, London, L.A., um, it could diffuse from people like celebrities. Uh, and with expansion diffusion, um, or excuse me, contagious diffusion, it's rapid, it's widespread across a population. So again, as a um, empire is colonizing and they're bringing thousands and thousands of their uh, citizens to a new place, those people are spreading out there, spreading their language, they're spreading their culture. Um, again, if something like pop culture, if something goes viral across the internet, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, um, that would be an example of uh, contagious diffusion as well. Define cultural homo uh, homogenization and apply it to a real-world situation. Cultural homo uh, homogenization is where everything looks the same across the cultural landscape. Um, pop culture does that. Pop culture makes things look the same. Um, so I can be in a suburb in Minnesota. I can be in a suburb in California, Texas, Virginia, wherever, and things generally look the same. And that's because a lot of times restaurants look the same. Panera, McDonald's, Burger King, whatever, those things are going to look the same from place to place. And that causes a uh, what we call a loss of a sense of place and increases placelessness. Um, it loses unique characteristics of that cultural region, and it kind of blurs them into this one giant pop culture mass. Uh, what does the term ice glass refer to? That is a linguistic boundary. It could be a boundary between a dialect or it could be a boundary between actual languages. What is unique about the Basque language, where are most Basque speakers found? Um, it's something we looked at on our last little part of class today. Um, Basque is an isolated language in between France and Spain in the Pyrenees Mountains. It has been isolated there geographically for thousands and thousands of years. Um, it is unique not in just that it is an isolated language, but it is a pre-Indo-European language. So it existed long before uh, the Indo-European languages arrived there. Uh, know the major language families. Indo-European, uh, we talked about the major branches that exist there are um, Germanic, uh, Balto-Slavic, Romance, and Indo-Iranian. Uh, under Germanic, we've got English, German, Dutch, uh, Icelandic, Danish. Um, under Balto-Slavic, we've got Russian, Ukrainian, Serbian, Czech, Croatian. Uh, under Romance, we've got Latin, Italian, French, Spanish, Portuguese, 
And under Indo-Iranian, we've got Kurdish, Hindi, Farsi, um, Armenian, Tajik, uh, amongst others. The second largest family is the Sino-Tibetan language family. That's where we get Mandarin, Chinese, Thai, Cantonese. Uh, Afro-Asiatic is where we get Hebrew and um, Arabic, largely spoken across North Africa and the Middle East. Uh, and then finally, we've got Niger-Congo, which we find largely in sub-Saharan Africa. And the major language we need to know out of Niger-Congo um, would be Swahili. What does the term toponym refer to? Be sure to understand what this looks like in the real world. Remember, toponym just means a place name. And we need to understand this for this unit because place names uh, can often refer back to the original cultures or original groups that founded them. So up in uh, Quebec, in the ice desert to the north of us, you're going to find a lot of place names that are Saint this, Saint that, which means that oftentimes they were settled by Catholic populations. Um, we've talked about how in North Dakota, the capital there is Bismarck. Bismarck as in uh, one of the original creators of the modern German state, Otto von Bismarck, which leads me to believe there be many German people that settled uh, in North Dakota. So toponyms give me a hint as to the culture and possibly religion of the people that originally settled there. Uh, compare and contrast popular and folk cultures. Uh, I'm going to try to pull this up while I'm talking, but uh, there was a document that we looked at um, that kind of laid out the major differences between popular culture and folk culture. Uh, for example, folk culture is more rural. It's isolated, uh, homogeneous groups of people. Uh, it's traditional. It changes slowly. Oral communication it's local, it's regional, it's spread by relocation diffusion, it's limited, it varies from place to place, and it reflects the local environment, and it's definitely environmental determinism. Uh, some examples there would be the Cajuns in Louisiana, Native American groups throughout the U.S., and the Amish. Whereas with pop culture, it's more urban, it's globalized, it's heterogeneous groups of people, it changes rapidly, it's spread by mass media and technology, um, it's national and global in scale, it's spread through hierarchical diffusion. Um, it varies from time to time. It looks the same everywhere, and it's linked more towards possibilism. Things like Hollywood and McDonald's and social media would be examples um, of popular culture. Um, why are some languages under threat of extinction? Well, as popular culture, cultural harmonization, cultural imperialism, and English, uh, the spread of the internet and things like that, um, have gone to these far and remote places, they have started to make certain languages uh, become in danger of extinction. As these small folk groups uh, lose their population, as people move away, or as their population just dies out, oftentimes their language dies with them. Um, we've talked about English is kind of the world's lingua franca. It's something you need to learn to be able to move up socioeconomically, to go to an American college, something like that. And so a lot of people uh, will abandon their home language in favor of learning English. What is meant by a proto-language? A proto-language is a theoretical ancestor of a language family. Um, so if you're looking at proto-language uh, in terms of the language family of Indo-European, uh, their theoretical ancestor would be proto-Indo-European. If I'm looking at uh, Sino-Tibetan, the theoretical ancestor is proto-Sino-Tibetan. So if I ask on a test, what is the theoretical ancestor uh, proto-language of English? It would be Proto-Indo-European, not Proto-English. Same thing with Mandarin Chinese. What is the theoretical Proto-language of Mandarin Chinese? That would be Proto-Sino-Tibetan. You take the language family and you're just putting uh, Proto in front of that to denote that it is the, this theoretical prior language. 
Compare and compa- uh, contrast assimilation and, and acculturation. In both cases, uh, we are talking about new groups, usually immigrant groups that have moved to a new country. And the most important thing when you're an immigrant and you move to a new country is you have to find a way to have a job. You have to make money so that you can feed your family. So with assimilation, you were talking about um, immigrant groups that have blended into the dominant society. They have cast aside all of their old traditional ways and they are blending in completely to American culture. They might change their name. They might change how they speak, not just their language, but their dialect. Um, They might change their religion. They might change um, cultural holidays that they practice. They are going to blend completely into the dominant society. Whereas with acculturation, immigrants are only going to give up certain things that they need to give up so that they can have a job and be successful in the country. They're going to maintain other cultural aspects. So things that they're going to give up, they're probably going to give up their language. They might give up how they dress um, and that sort of thing. Maybe how they act in public, certain like cultural uh, taboos um, might be different. Um, but things that they're going to hold on to, they're probably going to hold on to the food that they eat. They're probably going to hold on to their religion um, and maybe some of the holidays that they celebrate. So assimilation, we're completely blending in. Acculturation, we're trying to maintain as much of our previous culture as possible. What is meant by a global lingua franca? What is the current lingua franca? How does the world work to accommodate this? So a global lingua franca is a commonly spoken language around the world. In this case, it is English. Under the um, you know the Ottomans in uh, northern uh, you know, northern Africa and the Middle East, it was Arabic. Under uh, the you know the um, uh, the Romans in the Roman Empire, it was Latin. So the current lingua franca is English. Um, how does the world work to accommodate this? Well, again, we looked at a couple things in the article um, a couple weeks ago. First of all, uh, pop culture is the pop culture of, of the world is the pop culture of America. So American pop culture is spreading English. Uh, the internet was an American invention, and so a lot of it proliferated in English. And again, what is popular on social media is um, what you guys, what American youth are putting out there, other youth around the world see that and they want to be like you for some reason. Remember, we can also have uh, regional lingua francas as well. So like the regional lingua franca of sub-Saharan Africa is Swahili. The regional lingua franca of India is Hindi. The l- regional lingua franca of the former Soviet satellite states of Russia is Russian. Um, what are dialects? Dialects are regional varieties uh, of a language. Um, it could be different pronunciation, different spelling, um, that sort of thing. So in the United States, we tend to say we have five different dialects, but those can be broken down into sub-dialects. Um, the dialect of uh, Boston, Massachusetts is very different from that of like Brooklyn, New York, uh, Chicago, Illinois, um, Los Angeles, California kind of has its own thing. Uh, Southern states have very different dialects as well. Define ethnocentrism. That's the belief that your ethnicity or your culture is superior to that of other countries. It's one thing the United States is definitely guilty of. We often think that our culture, our way of life, our religion, our language, whatever, um, is oftentimes superior or better to other languages or other cultures, oftentimes because we refuse to start to understand what those cultures are and what some of their values are. How many languages exist today? Where are the most linguistically diverse places on earth? There are somewhere around 6,000 languages spoken today. Um, there will only be about 2,000 of those left uh, within about 100 years. The two most linguistically diverse places in the world are India and Papua New Guinea. There's a couple thousand languages alone that are just spoken between those two countries. Um, but places like 
Uh, the Americas are linguistically diverse. In fact, that is where North and South America is where we have the most languages that are under threat of extinction, mainly as indigenous groups start to die out, their language starts to die out. And remember, along with that, with immigrant groups, um, it usually takes about three generations for a language to die out. So if I am a, an immigrant from Germany, um, more likely than not, I am going to speak my language. My children, the second generation, will be bilingual. But by the time my grandkids are born, the third generation, um, they will not learn how to speak German. Um, what is meant by the term language family? Remember, that is an all kind of encompassing term uh, that means that you share the same origin. So it goes back to some historical uh, connection. So we've talked about with Indo-European that the theoretical hearth of Indo-European is somewhere around the Caspian and Black Seas, northern Middle East, Turkey, uh, southern Eurasia, Ukraine, Russia. Um, and so all languages that are part of the Indo-European language family originated there. And from there, they spread. They spread throughout Europe. They spread throughout the Middle East and South Asia. And then as those empires expanded, it brought some of those languages into Africa um, and into Australia and North and South America. So that is how something like English that we speak all the way here in the United States is related to something like Hindi that's spoken all the way back in India. They have the same origins. That's how they're part of the same language family. Um, lastly, with the FRQ, to help review if your FRQ, be able to define and apply the types of diffusion. We talked about that a little bit already. Um, remember, we've got our two major forms of diffusion, relocation and expansion. Um, so you should definitely be able to talk about how relocation um, and uh, immigrants moving, bringing their culture, bringing their language with them uh, um, affects uh, cultural diffusion. Remember, under expansion diffusion, uh, there are three types of diffusion. There is contagious, hierarchical, and stimulus. Um, we're going to be fo focusing mainly on contagious and hierarchical, especially in regards to how language and culture spread, uh, and barriers to diffusion. Remember, um, there's physical barriers like rivers and deserts and oceans and things like that. And there are also cultural barriers. Uh, cultural barrier can be a lack of technology or lack of access to technology. Um, it can be some sort of cultural divide that is imposed by a government um, or a war or something like that um, that splits a culture. Uh, it could be something like a wall. It, um, it could be something um, like a political border that divides two countries. Uh, those are all cultural barriers to diffusion. All right. Um, so that's all I've got for, uh, this test. Again, remember to do your chapter four and five textbook guides. Uh, please remember, uh, to study for this test. Um, and remember that I will be here on test day, Friday and Monday before school to answer any questions you might have. Um, other than that, um, uh, good luck on the test. Good luck studying and I'll see you guys in class. Thanks for listening.